Amen. Uh, please turn with me in the smaller forms and prayers to page 208, uh, Lord's Day 7. Uh, the, uh, the, the hope, uh, the plan is uh, here that we have this kind of a, a breaking point in the middle of Lord's Day 7. And because in the, Lord's, in the middle of Lord's Day 7, uh, we begin with the um, Apostles' Creed in question answers 22 and 23. And so it's kind of a new section in the Catechism. And then tonight we uh, have our text goes to the end of the book of Ezekiel. So Lord willing, uh, next week uh, we'll begin a new series uh, working through a new book. Uh, and that'll be First Timothy, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. And then we'll go back to the catechism being in the evening as we start uh, working through the Apostles' Creed at question answer 22. So just with that as a, as a word for, for where we are at as a congregation and where we hope to go, uh, let's look at the first two question and answers of Lord's Day 7 this morning. And I'll say the questions, let us together uh, let us together say the answers. Beginning with question 20. Are all people then saved through Christ just as they were lost through Adam? No, only those are saved who through true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word, it is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel that God has freely granted not only to others but to me also forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These gifts are purely of grace, only because of Christ's merit. And then let us turn, brothers and sisters, to the Holy Word of God, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, page 1204. In the Blue ESV Bibles, and we'll begin our reading at verse 13, and we'll be looking especially at uh, the picture of the tree in verses 17 to 24. We begin our reading at verse 13. Let us hear the Holy Word of God. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, 
although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree so far the reading the grass withers the flower fades the word of our Lord endures forever dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ the call to repent and believe is a personal call but it is not only an individual matter to believe in Christ it means not only to have a personal faith and trust in him, but also to be part of God's faithful, to be part of God's people. Uh, and the pictures of, of God's church are, are, are used in, in a number of ways to speak of this truth to us. Uh, and this one even specifically uh, teaching us the relationship that we have not only with those who believe in Christ after he came, but also sharing with those who looked forward to the coming of Christ with that forward-looking faith of Abraham and others. And so uh, we can go through the questions thinking of the images of God's people. What is healthier, a finger that is attached to a hand or a finger that has been severed from the hand? Uh, which is more likely to survive, the sheep that is part of the flock or the sheep that is wandering away from the flock? And then the picture, especially before us this morning, which is more alive, the branch that is part of the tree or the branch that is cut off from the tree? Now, this image of the tree is, is uh, used more than once in the New Testament. And so we'll speak a little bit about the difference between the tree of Romans 11 and the closely related but a little bit different focus in, in John chapter 15 and the, and the tree there. Uh, but uh, wh whichever tree of the people of God we're looking at, it is necessary to be uh, part of Christ. That's the emphasis in, in John 15. It's necessary to be part of Christ's people. That's the emphasis in Romans 11. And it is necessary to be part of Christ's people with a humility of faith. A humility of faith which God has always required of his faithful ones. So our theme this morning is this. With humble faith, be part of God's people. 
We're going to look first at uh, cultivated or grafted, verses 17 and 18, and then at belief or unbelief, verses 19 to 21, and then at kindness and severity in verses 22 to 24. Well, we begin with with this cultivated or grafted, and uh, the language of of this illustration goes all all through uh, verses 17 to 24, but it's especially here in these these first two verses. And at this point, let us ask, what is the root of the illustrative tree here in Romans 11? And uh, I said that there's another place in the New Testament that speaks about a tree, and that place is John 15. And that may be more familiar to us. Uh, What are the words of John 15? They begin with this. I, Christ says, am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So who is the root Who is the true vine? Who is the one from whom we have our life in in John chapter 15? Well, in John 15, the image is all about how Christ is the root. Christ is whom we have our life from, and we must be his fruit-bearing branches uh, as part of his tree. The image here is a little bit different. Uh, Christ is still very much present. We'll see that especially in our second point. But since the focus is upon the family of faith as a whole and on the relationship between Jew and Gentile, the root of this tree is not specifically Christ. Though again, we'll see Christ is very much here, especially in our second point. But for the sake of illustration, the root of this tree is the nation of Israel. And then specifically, the patriarchs of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a little bit different than John 15. This is more of a family tree. And who stands at the the root of the family tree but the earliest generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. With that uh, clarification... Who then are we? Well, if we are Gentile believers, we are wild olive branches grafted in to the one family tree of faith. Although a wild olive shoot, middle of verse 17, you are grafted in among others, and now you have this nourishing root. Now you follow in the faith of Abraham, which was so detailed, for example, in Romans chapter 4, earlier in this book. And so we, uh, we teach our children to sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, I am one of them, and so are you. Uh, it is uh, either uh, by both faith and physical descent, if you are a Jew, that you are uh, a son or daughter of Abraham. Or it is uh, simply by faith, if you are uh, ethnically a Gentile, you are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Uh, we are all in the same tree. And now as we're, as we're, getting, the, as we're getting the fuller picture of this illustration, uh, brothers and sisters, we, we need to think about how humbling 
the illustration itself already is. Now, this, this is going to be said directly, such as in verse 18 at the very beginning, do not be arrogant, uh, or uh, such as uh, the end of verse 20, so do not become proud but fear. But really, that point is already made in verse 17. Because what is a wild olive tree compared to a cultivated olive tree? Well, because we are probably not familiar with wild olive trees in ancient Palestine, let's slow down and think about this for a moment. A cultivated olive tree is just about the most valuable thing you can have in ancient Israel. It is, um, it is uh, a difficult tree uh, to grow in the sense that it needs a lot of care, in the sense that it takes many years before it starts to bear good fruit, which is, by the way, why the psalmist uses olive branches as a picture for raising children. Uh, but it's, it's very valuable, even though it takes lots of care and it takes a lot of time before it bears fruit. Uh, so valuable that it's, it's a sign of wealth throughout the Old Testament. Uh, a sign of prosperity and wealth is mentioning the olive tree. And you, you traded your olives. You didn't just eat them. They were a delicacy, but you also traded them. And, and they, were, uh, they were pound for pound a very valuable thing. And so that's, that's what a cultivated olive tree is. You say that to anyone in the ancient world and they think, uh, prosperity, they think valuable, they think this is cultivated olive trees, we have a very high view of cultivated olive trees. What is a wild olive tree? A wild olive tree is basically worthless. Olives are not like raspberries. Okay, raspberries, you, you know, you, you go to like a, like a raspberry place, you have a, a cultivated raspberry bush, you can pick great raspberries. You go in the wild, and sometimes you can find a wild raspberry patch. You've got to be a little bit careful because you've got to make sure it's actually a raspberry. You don't want to just eat any raspberry haphazardly when you're out in the wild. But if, if you know it's a wild raspberry patch, they taste just as good. Maybe you know that with first-hand experience like I do. Yeah, there, was, there was this wonderful little raspberry patch uh, in one of the, the fields I worked at in high school. And it was, and that, was like, that was like the best five-minute break you could take. Here I am working in the hot sun, and there's my, wall of, there's my wild raspberries. I know right where they are. And they taste just as good as any other raspberries. Olives are not like that. Cultivated olive tree, extremely valuable. Wild olive tree, fruitless, essentially worthless, basically a big weed. So uh, the Apostle Paul says it directly, again, in, in the beginning of verse 18 and the end of verse 20, but the picture is already making the point. Do not think highly of yourself. You know, there were a couple of attitudes that the early uh, Gentile Christians could have had. They could have had an attitude like this. I'm great because I'm part of God's new people. Uh, this is all God's new plan. Jews, they're just old news. Or even taking that one step further. Well, I'm great because I'm part of God's new people and we've just replaced all that old Israel. That doesn't mean anything. And uh, indeed, uh, having a negative attitude toward the Jews, uh, anti-Semitism is what we sometimes call it today, that was a common thing in the ancient world. So we can imagine how uh, for some of the early Gentile Christians they could have been holding on to those old prejudices and, and putting on this new religious layer to it and saying, well, we're, 
we're the we're the new stuff. We're the good stuff. And Paul, the Apostle Paul says, no, you're you're just weeds, who by God's grace have been grafted into the valuable and precious family of faith. That's the picture that the apostle gives to these early Gentile Christians. Humbly acknowledge that you are not the root of God's people and that God takes you, though you are not valuable in and of yourself, and grafts you into his valuable family. Uh, now, if we look at question answer 20, uh, who are those who are saved? Only those who are saved who through true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. Uh, that's, that's taking us even deeper than the root. That's taking us to the John chapter 15 root. Uh, but uh, the two things are definitely connected. To be grafted into the family of faith is only possible as we're grafted into Christ himself. Do not make the people of God two different trees. There's only one tree. It's true that we can use the language of Old Testament, New Testament. It's true that Jesus Christ talks about the new covenant in my blood. But there is one family of faith. And the Jews, going back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are the root of that family tree. And so uh, do not uh, make the family of faith a, a bonsai tree. Now I, I, I heard a pastor use that illustration and maybe you know what a bonsai tree is but uh, I, I didn't so I needed his explanation and maybe now you need my explanation. A bonsai tree is, is a way uh, mostly started in the, in the uh, like East Asia countries of growing miniature trees. Right, so it's a way that you can have this beautiful little tree, uh, but it can fit in a small space. Now, how do you make a bonsai tree? The key way that you make a bonsai tree is that you trim the roots. You get rid of the full strength of the roots, and then you end up with this little tree. Now, if you like miniature trees, they look kind of cool, and uh, just in, in that sense, it's... You know, bonsai trees are good, but for the sake of illustration, do not make the tree of faith a bonsai tree. Do not shrink the people of God. Certainly do not have any arrogance against all of God's people from before and after Christ. And then there's even simple applications which flow from this. Why do we spend so much time in the Old Testament? You know, about half of our sermons in this church are from the Old Testament. Why do we do that? Because we are one family of faith. And even though we read the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament and fulfillment in Christ, uh, God teaches us much through what He taught His same family of faith before Christ came onto this earth. Why do we sing the Psalms? There are there's some language in the Psalms that's a little bit hard to grab hold of. You know, what is the valley of, of Baca? I'm not exactly sure what the valley of Baca is. What is Zion? Well, okay, I do know what that is, but, you know, I, I don't know it immediately. I've got to think about it a second. All right, Zion, that's where the temple is. That's, that's language about worshiping God. Okay, I, I got it, right? It's not, it's not immediately apparent to us. It wasn't written immediately to us, but we are part of the same family of faith. 
And these are not just any songs. They're songs which the Holy Spirit gave to the family of faith. And so it's especially appropriate to sing the Psalms, to be in all of God's scriptures, and to not shrink God's people, but to see we are all part of the same family of faith. And so do not have any arrogance against any of the branches. Verse 18, whether it's the branches who who have been cut off, and we'll speak about that more in verses 20 to to 22, because uh, by God's grace, he took you a wild weeds in, God can certainly take the natural branches back in too, or whether it's the believing Jews who are part of the same family of faith, and uh, that's uh, that's something that the Apostle Paul will talk about at length all through chapter 14 and 15. Uh, Do not have arrogance against the branches. Be united. You are one family of faith. Well, now, brothers and sisters, let's come to our second point, belief or unbelief. And this is the necessity of faith. And this is where uh, Jesus Christ is plainly at the center. For the Apostle Paul has already told us very plainly uh, where faith is directed and what faith is. One of those places is Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 22 uh, to 25. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And so the Apostle Paul does not need to mention Christ by name here because he already has more than once. Whenever we see the word faith, we're essentially seeing Christ. Because what is faith? Faith is to believe in Jesus Christ. It is to repent of our sins and to trust in His righteousness and His blood and to receive that free gift. The uh, beautiful simplicity of the free gift of faith and it's described at the end of question and answer 21 in this way, God has freely granted not only to others but to me also forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness and salvation. These gifts are purely of grace only because of Christ's merit. That 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 essential part of faith is is not overly complicated. Faith, there, there is a real simplicity to what faith is. It is a free gift from God that we are called to receive. Uh, there is a, uh, there's a wonderful little book that one of our members just gave me uh, and it's called Around the Wicked Gate by Charles Spurgeon. And it's a, it's a little book. It's an easy book to read. And it's, it's all about faith and uh, full of illustrations of faith. And uh, one of the illustrations uh, Spurgeon uses is that, um, you know, it's, it's true that, that the, the scripture details many things for us. But the essence of faith is very simple. And so there was once a Sunday school teacher who, who felt that the Sunday school class was 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 making faith overly complicated and, and was missing the the simple essence of what faith was. And so he, he pulled out his pocket watch, um, right, Charles Spurgeon, eighteen hundreds, London area, so you know, you you don't just you pull out a pocket watch, which we don't really have anymore, but picture you know, a nice, valuable pocket watch, and uh, he just offered it to one of the students. He said, Here, this is this is yours. And the Sunday school student kind of looks at him a little bit strange and says uh, 
thank you. You know, and then he and then he and then he looks at the, the next student. And he says, okay, here, here, this is this is for you. This is a gift for you. And the Sunday school students are still not really sure what's going on. And so the second student kind of says the same thing as the first student, like, uh, uh, what? Uh, I don't know. And then, all right, so then, uh, so then the teacher moves on to the third student. And he says, here, this is a gift. This is for you. And the third student says, okay, thank you. And now the first two students are like, Wait a second. What's going on? Does, does he get to keep that? Like, what's what's going on? You just you just gave this valuable gift, and I, I did I just turn that down? And now he gets to keep it. What's going on here? And the teacher says, Yeah, he gets to he gets to keep it. I said it was a free gift. And and they're like, But but I thought I thought. And, and he's like, No, don't don't overthink it. Don't make it too complicated. It's a picture of faith. Faith is not overly complicated. We are sinners. There is a free gift of salvation. It is much more precious than any pocket watch or this whole world. Though a man would gain the whole world and let yet lose his soul. And that gift is Christ's blood poured out for us for the salvation of our soul. And it is not overly complicated. Yes, Lord. I believe. And I receive your precious gift. And so this, this gift is for everyone who believes. God shows no partiality. That's the language of Romans 2, verse 11. There is salvation for the Jew first and also for the Greek, even as uh, for those who do evil, uh, there will be tribulation for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The distinguishing mark is not whether you are a Jew or a Greek. It is whether you have faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have faith, do not become proud, but fear. And the faithful are contrasted with the unbelieving who are cut off. In God's great mercy, there is no partiality. God saves every Jew and every Greek who believes. In God's just judgment, there is no partiality. God condemns every Jew and every Greek who denies Him. Well, let's come then to our third point, kindness and severity. God is both kind and severe. Verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. If you overemphasize the severity of God and you pretend that very few persons except yourself are saved, then may God help to kill your pride. For such an attitude puts you yourself in danger of falling under God's severity for your presumptuous pride. If you overemphasize the kindness of God and you pretend that everybody or at least you know, almost everybody is saved, then may God help you to be rid 
of your pride in the human race. And know that pride in the human race as a whole is in many ways just as dangerous as pride in oneself. Humbly acknowledge that your salvation and the salvation of anyone who believes is grounded only in the kindness of God who though we are all sinners has through the gift of Jesus Christ through the free gift of salvation given salvation to all those who believe. Whether it's those wild olive shoots grafted in or whether it's Uh, The natural branches who remain, uh, the language back earlier in the text, right? Some have been broken off. That means some are remaining. Or whether it's the natural branches who have been broken off who will uh, uh, will desist from their unbelief and rebellion and return to God. God's God's kindness grafts in. God's kindness returns. God's kindness saves those who uh, remain in the covenant family and faith of God and uh, accept the promises that they are given from birth, God is kind. God's salvation is grand. It It is big, but God is also severe. There is judgment for everyone who rebels against God. And so uh, that language of, of the necessary repentance that we must have and, and how we should not presume upon God's kindness is how the Apostle spoke in Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath For yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God is kind. God is severe. God is not like we are. We are called to see both that kindness and that severity. Well, the severity within our text was seen, especially in, in verse 21, that God will not spare any branches who remain in unbelief, but the kindness of God is is where this section ends. Again, detailing how how any any branches of belief are brought into that tree of faith. Now, at this point, we're going to come towards our conclusion with with one more illustration uh, from uh, Spurgeon's little book, Around the Wicked Gate. Spurgeon talks about a man who's going on a long hike and, uh, and he gets lost and then, and then it's a very dark night. And so now he's lost and he's in darkness. And then, and then the man falls off of a cliff. But as often happens in stories and movies, when you fall off a cliff, you don't fall all the way down to the ground. You, you fall onto some kind of ledge. And now this man is on a ledge, but it's not a very big ledge. And so he has to really strain his muscles to hold on to the cliff. And, and he's barely able to hold, hold on. And, and the darkness continues, and, and the night continues. And, and finally, he cannot hold on anymore. And he falls, and he has about a one-foot drop. And he falls on this soft, mossy ground. And 
he falls to safety. Spurgeon says this, this pictures some things about unbelief. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go beyond his illustration as well. First of all, unbelief is active. It is not just like, oh, I'm I'm not decided if I'm gonna believe in God or not. No, unbelief is actively clinging to the cliff of unbelief. The language of Romans chapter one is this that the unrighteous suppress the knowledge of the truth. Any anyone who does not believe in God is in active rebellion and unbelief against God. You're clinging to the cliff of unbelief. Another thing, and this is this is one that Spurgeon does emphasize, is that unbelief is darkness. Unbelief cannot see the wonders of the safe deliverance for those who would ground their hope upon the work of Jesus Christ. It is not a fall to harm. It is falling upon the arms of safety and love. Now, unbelief has all kinds of objections. Unbelief objects that, well, Jesus can't even really be who he says he is. How can someone be, be both God and man? How can someone die for the sins of others and conquer the grave? Unbelief objects and says, but I'm not really a sinner. Why, why should I confess my sins? Why, why is that part of, part of faith? I, I'm not a sinner. Unbelief objects that, well, if I, if I come to Christ, then... Uh, doesn't that mean that he is both Savior and Lord? And so as simple as faith is, it, it does mean that I would also have to serve him and I would also have to follow his law. And I don't really like the law of God. But no, the kindness of God. God's people are given a sure knowledge of who Jesus is. We know he is God and Man, We know He did die for our sins. We know He did rise from the grave. And the Holy Spirit works these truths in our heart. Know that God, even patiently and kindly, does show us that we are sinners and we do need to confess our sins, even as our sins have been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And yes, it is true that faith is followed by obedience, but by God's kindness, he shows us that his law is not meant to be some, some cruel fence stopping us from things that we, that we uh, should do. There is a sense that we want to do them in our sinful desires of the flesh, Galatians chapter 5, but really the law of God is exactly what we need. And finally, God even brings us to love his law as the psalmist says, I delight in the law of God. And so here is how Spurgeon put some of these things together in, in that Prince of Preachers uh, poetic way. Quote, In the darkness of their ignorance, many think that sure destruction awaits them if they confess their sin, quit all hope in self, and resign themselves to the hands of God. They are afraid to quit the hope to which they ignorantly cling. It is an idle fear. Give up your hold upon everything but Christ and drop. Drop from all trust in your works or prayers or feelings. Drop at once. Drop now. Soft and safe shall be the bank that receives you. Jesus Christ in His love and the efficacy of His precious blood in His perfect righteousness will give you immediate rest and peace. Fall into the arms of 
Jesus. Unbelief and belief. That is the difference. Not Jew and Gentile. Unbelief and belief is the difference between those who are grafted into the family of faith. Grafted through faith in Jesus Christ. Are you cut off by unbelief? Leave all of the objections and all of the darkness of unbelief. Are you grafted in by faith? Rejoice. It is finally Christ's tree and rejoice. There is a beautiful tree of all God's people who have trusted in Him from before.